What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Heller, and this is, of course, the very first episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to get it kicked off. This is awesome. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, had a few requests, had a few people tell me, you know, you should really start a podcast. Um, so here it goes. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what Deer Vein is, uh, check out Instagram if you have it. Um, it is on Facebook as well, but it's pretty small at the moment, only a few hundred followers. Instagram almost up to a couple thousand. Uh, what I do is kind of talk about deer hunting, um, sharing information, sharing strategies, sharing tips. And a lot of it is um, public land based, but there's definitely, I talk about private land stuff as well. And it's just kind of trying to help people become more successful. That's really the whole bottom line for what Deer Vein is. It's not necessary. I mean, it is, hopefully it'll be entertaining, entertaining for you guys. And hopefully you'll uh, get some education out of it and hopefully you get some laughs. You know, I, I hope it's, it's something you look forward to listening to, I guess. But uh, at the same time, the reason I'm starting Deer Vein is because hunter numbers are dropping uh, I mean, it's kind of common knowledge right now. I think if, if you pay attention to any of the media around hunting, hunter numbers are falling. Um, people are becoming less and less interested in it. And a lot of people would think, Hey, that's good. You know, more, more room for me, more deer for me. Um, but at the same time, I, which I totally do agree with that, you know, less hunters makes it easier to kill big deer and, and hunt. But at the same time, less hunters always eat also equates to less of a voice um, when it comes to politics, coming to legislature, you know, senators, congressmen, um, governors, people who make the rules around hunting and people who can allow you to do things and not allow you to do things um, become less and less interested in hunters, the few of us there are. So my thoughts here in Deer Vein is try to help people become more successful. And in turn, they will stick around for hunting longer. Hopefully I can get some new people into hunting. Hopefully I get some people who are teetering on the edge of quitting to continue and keep moving forward. And then all of you guys who are just straight up diehards out there, hopefully I can provide some little nuggets of information that, you know, you're, you're 90% of the way there to killing that big buck. And you just like, maybe I can give you that little 10% boost and help you guys be a little bit more successful. You know, that's, that's generally the hardest part for new hunters is, um, not necessarily like buying the stuff cause money, you know, you can, you can get money, you can get jobs, you can get, um, careers and things like that to get money. The hardest part is really finding land and, and grinding it out. I mean, it is hard work your first few years. Most of us start when we're 12, 13, 14 years old, when, you know, success is just seeing deer and maybe, maybe shooting a doe. Um, now you, you know, you have adults and with the advent of social media and everything, it seems like everybody needs to put, you know, a giant 12 point that's 180 inches on the wall every year in order to be cool. And that's just not reality for so many of us. Um, I mean, like 99% of us, that's just not reality. So um, what I've kind of evolved to doing in that regard is doing a lot of public land hunting. So um, because if you can't find um, land to hunt, that's like always one of the biggest barriers is, well, okay, I can go buy my gun, but I don't have anywhere to hunt. Well, there's always public land. Just about every state has it, so you can get into that. Um, and then the next piece is, well, public land, there's too many people out there. I never see any deer. Well, I'm trying to help with that. Um, I see a ton of deer on public land. I hunt very highly pressured land, um, in South central Wisconsin. And every time I'm out there, I think there was, uh, I hunted about 30 or 40 sits this year. I have that number somewhere. 
um, but somewhere between 30 and 40 sits, roughly 200 to 300, 200 to 250 hours in the stand uh, this last season. And I think I didn't see deer like three or four times out of all that. So, I mean, there's deer out there. There's plenty of them out there. You just got to, you just got to find the subtle nuances and things that, uh, how do I say it best? That'll, that'll get you in the right spot. And that's what I'm trying to teach people. And a lot of it, you know, the biggest thing I can say, like right off the bat, um, this is just like go where other people don't. I mean, even if it's, even if it's the worst freaking walk in the world, um, go where other people don't, that's the easiest thing I can, can say. And then the other thing is always play the wind. Like those are the two rules I live by always play the wind and go where other people don't. Um, and do what other people won't. So that's my my le- kind of high level view on that kind of stuff. But uh, at the same time, you know, it's easy to say, hard to do. So, um, so that's kind of what led me to to start Deer Vein and start moving forward. Plus, you know, I of course I would love to hunt for a living, create content for a living, um, and help you everybody be more successful and just kind of become. Um, somebody people can turn to when they're struggling and they need help. You know, people who can contact me, I answer all my direct messages like right away. Um, you know, Hey, I'm looking at this piece of land. Where would you go? Hey, um, I'm having trouble with this. How would you fix it? You know, things like that all all day. I'm trying to, trying to help people as much as I can. So that's, that's deer vein in a nutshell. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm about. I hope that gives you a little bit of insight as to what you're going to hear on this podcast. I do definitely do private land stuff. I'm going to have a bunch of that on there. So if you're a private land dude, don't worry about like, like me being solely public land guy. Cause I know that's a, kind of a big movement right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just public land is the most accessible for a lot of people. Um, so I like to touch on that, but, um, but there are some major pieces and, uh, twists and ways to think about things when you're on private land versus public land. And when you're on public land versus private land, just different, different scenarios in terms of pressure and how deer move and, and will interact with you throughout your property and how controlling you can have a situation versus not controlling. Cause there's some things on public land that are just straight up on the luck because you gotta just pray and hope that somebody else doesn't come walking in or hasn't been there the day before or anything like that. So, um, there's, there's a lot of that stuff in there. And, uh, for the most part, deer veins going to be covering white tailed deer. That's, that's what I know the most. That's what I, I've spent the last 15, 16 years of my life doing. Um, and I've hunted probably, I think I counted up, up one day, 18 different properties, um, over my life. So it's not like I've just been hanging out on a family farm my whole life and I'm just kind of coming to you out of nowhere. I do like to say that I've kind of been nomadic in my hunting, um, my properties have hunted a lot of private, hunted a lot of public. Um, and I've, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be the first to say I'm not God's gift to deer hunting either. <laughs> I know I'm not doing myself a great sales pitch here, but, uh, but I get, I get close about every year. I don't always kill, but I get really close and, um, and I see a lot of big deer comparatively to apparently what a lot of other people see, you know, this last season, um, I had, three bucks over 140 inches within 60 yards and I couldn't kill any of them (laughs) on public land too. So it was a, it was a tough year. Um, I was, I was right in the game. I just, they, they didn't make the right, the wrong move. I needed them to make the wrong move and they knew what they were doing and they knew how to avoid me. So 
Um, you know, I'm always constantly uh, tweaking my setups and what I need to do to be more successful. And uh, as I grow and and work on that, you know, I'll definitely share those experiences with you. And I hope that in return, um, you guys can share your experiences with me. Uh, you know, like I said, on Instagram, just send me a direct message or on Facebook, just shoot me a, shoot me a DM and let me know, you know, an issue you're having or something I could talk about that you would find very pertinent or you would want to, or you think other people might want to know and things like that. You know, I'd really like this to kind of be a community rather than just me telling you stuff. And, uh, and I'd also like to say that I will have guests on here. This is just, you know, the first, first couple of podcasts are just going to be me talking. Um, I hope you don't find that too boring, but, um, but anyway, yeah, I'll stop rambling and get into it. Um, this podcast, I wanted to tell you a little bit about deer vein, which I just did. But then the next thing, um, quickly is I just wanted to talk about a few things that you can do to increase your odds of success over the summer. So I got um, about six things that I always do all summer um, that really help me become um, uh, more prepared for the fall. So when, you know, Wisconsin, it's the third Saturday of September when season opens, um, I'm ready to go. I'm not scrambling, not trying to figure out, oh man, where's my, where's my pack? Where's my boots? Where's my bow? You know, do I need to screw on broadheads? Oh my gosh, I still have field tips on, you know, is this thing sighted in? <laughs> you know, I always try to try to do a lot over the summer to make sure that I'm ready. And, uh, and that's, I just talked about gear. Um, and people can usually dial their gear in. It's, it's, where do I sit opening morning? Where do I sit opening evening? Um, where do I sit the second evening? Where do I sit the second morning? Do you even hunt the mornings or mornings? You know, are you just putting your scent in there and letting deer know and not seeing anything or should I, so I should only hunt the evenings, um, because that might be a thought. There's, there's just so many different things and strategies you can come up with, um, that, uh, that I kind of wanted to go over those a little bit so that um, hopefully you guys can be a little bit more prepared if you're not, you know, if you're just sitting around like, man, what can I do this summer to help me, you know, kill that big buck? Well, here's a few things. So um, the first one is understand your property. You need to know every inch of the property you're hunting. And if you don't, now is a great time to get out there and go figure it out. It's mid June, um, mid to late June right now. There's still time to get out there, push deer around, go explore everything. Uh, the deer are going to come right back. They're not being hunted and they know it. Uh, so if you go tromping through a bedding area or something like that and kick out what looks to be, you know, a nice buck, he's got some good um, bases, base velvet growing right now. You know, they're probably going to come right back. 99% of the time they're going to run away. I shouldn't say that maybe like 70, 80. I don't know the exact figure there, but a lot of, a lot of deer right now, you'll kick them out of their bed. They'll go running around and they'll just make a giant loop and come right back in kind of like when a beagle is chasing a rabbit, they just do that loop and come right back to the same hole that they were hiding in big bucks, um, mature, mature does deer will do that too. Cause they were, they're in that spot for a reason. They hope you're just passing through. And when you do, they'll come back and, and it's not a big deal. So understand, you know, try to understand every inch of your property. If you're, you know, if you've always hunted, if you got 80 acres and you've always hunted like this 40, cause it's always been good. And the other 40 has been swamp nastiness, you know, maybe get in there and check out that other 40 or check out those, those small pockets where you haven't been. That's always the greatest, um, or the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody is kind of go where you don't usually go and just check it out. I mean, you're, you, you could find nothing, but at least you know, then it's nothing, but you could find everything. And then you can 
create a strategy based on, you know, all that new sign that you found. Like, wow, man, I only saw, I've only seen big deer here, you know, the last 10 years. But now that I go over here, I see, you know, there's all these new scrapes, all these new rubs. And a lot of times deer will change their pattern. You know, you'll be sitting, you'll be sitting, you know, the same three ladder stands every year. It's one of these three and you go in there, um, you know, and the deer just know. So then what they're going to do is, is create a trail system around your tree stands to the areas where you thought they weren't before. And then when you're going to go look in there and you will be like, wow, they did create this trail system around me. And now I can set up over here. And the first time to hunt that is always, um, is always your best chance. So setting up stands and stuff like that on that new trail system, get in there opening night and maybe kill one right away without, you know, big without making a bunch of noise or anything like that you surprise them it's always a great time to try to kill a big buck so really understand your property and go over every inch like i said you know spray down with bug spray take your dog if you want to go pick ticks off of them <laughs> and uh and just go go walk and go explore everything look for beds look for scrapes um i love scrapes personally that's like one of the biggest things i key in on are scrapes and then bedding areas and um if you don't know bedding areas i'll have to do a podcast just on that but essentially you're looking for big ovals on the ground that back up to some sort of structure it could be um, a bush it could be a fallen down tree it could be just a stump but a big oval circle in the dirt that backs up to something and then when you look at it it'll always be looking out towards kind of an opening or, or something where they can see because all because deer will almost always bed with the wind at their back so that they can smell anything trying to sneak up on them and uh, an open field of view in front of them so they can see anything coming at them um, with the wind in that in the predator's favor so um, just kind of figuring out where those where those beds are and where the scrapes are and then when you're seeing deer throughout the year you can kind of start pinpointing you know okay if he's using this scrape what kind of bed did he come from or what general area did he come from and where is he going to because um, you know that's always you're always trying to piece these uh, or put these pieces of the puzzle together to, to figure out where they were, where they're, where they're at right now and where they're going to. And, you know, sometimes you can see a deer, you know, on Saturday and understand where he's going Saturday night. So then on Sunday you can set up in a different spot and you can catch him coming through on Sunday night. Uh, I've seen that happen before. I've done it myself before. And so when you understand how deer use a piece, you can, um, strategize appropriately. So finding those pieces, um, of the puzzle are big. Uh, that's number one, understanding your property. I hope I beat that horse. <laughs> um, number two, uh, get out some trail cameras. I know there's some people who just don't do it because they don't like trail cameras or they have had bad experiences or they just think it's unethical. But for me, like running trail cameras has had a huge impact on my uh, success. Even though I do run them on public, I've had plenty um, tampered with, some stolen. Um, I've kind of developed a system that works for me pretty well. And running, I have about 10 trail cameras right now. I run mainly Exodus trail cameras, um, partly uh, there's a few reasons why uh, last year I ran six different types of cameras like um, uh, Moultrie's, Browning, Bushnell's, Muddy's, Exodus, uh, and I think like maybe a Spy Point and a Wild Game, I think, were the ones that I ran. 
Um, but anyway, ran a bunch of different ones and I had the best success with my two Exodus cameras. Um, so I'd like to stick with them. They are a little bit more expensive in that $150 range or so. Um, you can usually catch them with a deal sometimes if you just pay attention to their website or follow any of their social media stuff. Um, but uh, the, the big reason I kind of went with them in the first place was because they offer a five-year warranty and then they also fit, offer 50% off if the camera gets stolen. So I know that's kind of a sales pitch for Exodus, but at the same time, I mean, you know, if my cameras get stolen, I can return it or I can just say, hey, my camera got stolen and they will say, okay, 50% off your next one, which is really nice. I mean, nobody else does that and that's awesome. So... Running trail cameras over the summer is huge for me. I got a bunch out right now. I got all nine out. And where I set them up, I set them up in a variety of, of places, but you know, you, you can set up um, set them up on field edges. Uh, my personal favorite is uh, like oak flats because they're just kind of move oak flats that are also with mixed in with trail systems. So, um, Deer will browse acorns all times of the year and they'll just wander through and eat that stuff. So if you can find a trail that goes through an oak flat and um, it's got some acorns in it yet, I always like to set cameras up there. Um, but I also do a lot of just like straight up trail scouting. Um, you find a nice trail on a new piece or something like that. Um, just set the camera up right on that trail. And my tip for that is two tips, I guess. Um, one, if you're just dropping them on a trail, always point them like down the trail. Don't point them perpendicular to the trail because then you get a lot of ass shots. You know, you're just not seeing what it is. It's just like, oh, that's a big butt, but is it a big mature doe or is it a bit, or is it a, a big buck? Buck, you never know. So pointing the camera down the trail um, allows you to, to see exactly what it is for the most part. And it gives your trigger a little bit longer time frame to um, capture that Im capture that image or or pick up that movement. So uh, that's why I always like to point them straight down the trail. Then the other thing is, I almost always hang my cameras uh, somewhere between eight to twelve feet up in the air, and then I just angle them down with some sticks. So um, that usually helps me a lot in terms of theft prevention because first of all, a lot of people just walk underneath them and don't even notice them. And the second thing is, even if they do see them, they don't have any way to get up to them to steal them. And I also lock them up there. So, um, you know, they're looking up, they're like, all right, I got, I can't get up 10 feet. Even if I brought a ladder out here, I need to get a bolt cutters to cut it. And then the cameras, the Exodus cameras are password protected. So they're not going to be able to use it anyway in that sense. So it's just kind of a, a huge waste of time for them to do that. And I've had a lot of success once I've been doing that. The only times I've really had them stolen are when I put them you know, just on the ground where people can see them all the time. Uh, you know, like hip height, common, common things like that. So, um, like I said, trail cameras, uh, setting them up field edges, um, on trails, uh, outside of bedding areas. I don't set them up right in bedding areas or anything like that. And by outside, I mean 100 to 200 yards out because a bedding area can generally be, you know, it can be anywhere from, you know, a quarter acre to three acres of a big area where deer just kind of go in and depending on the wind and what they're feeling like, where they came from, what they want to eat tomorrow morning, all sorts of different things they can set up um, in different beds in that bedding area. So what I will do is I have a few areas that are that I know are just bedding areas. 
And if you don't know, that's a question I get all the time. Well, how do you know where a bedding area is exactly? Uh, the best way I can say is when you walk through there, you kick deer out. <laughs> uh, so if you're, if you have a piece of property that you're always hunting and, uh, every time you walk by this area, you kick deer out or, you know, 50% of the time you walk by this area and deer, you kick them out and you bust them out of there. That's a bedding area. <laughs> and that's really like my best way to, um, tell people to get started. Like if you're looking for beds, just go walk the entire piece of property and wherever you kick deer out of that's a, that's, that's a bedding area. Cause that's where they were laying down for the day. And you just walked right in there and booted them out. Um, so what I will do is kind of figure out where those are. So thinking of one specifically in my head, it's kind of a, I got two ridges that kind of come together and they're really small ridges. They're only a hundred yards wide. Um, and they kind of come together and in between the two is kind of a, uh, a swampy brushy area, um, with some dry patches mixed in there. And they love to bed in that swampy dry area with those dry patches. There's these little tiny mounds in that swamp that they love to lay on. And then they exit to either of those ridges. Um, and the ridges are only, you know, in elevation, probably, I don't know, 30 feet increase, 40 foot increase in elevation. So it's just enough to get out of the water, but they all, they like to bed in that swampy area. And what I will do is set my cameras on those ridges with the trails that are coming out of that. And those ridges are roughly a hundred, 150 yards away from those beds. So doing that allows give me one second here, doing that allows, uh, allows me to slip in there fairly unnoticed, set up my cameras. And then later, you know, come August when I want to go back and check them. Uh, I like to let those, I know where those cameras are going to be, are, are going to be. And I know they're on good trails just from being out there for a few years now. Um, so I'll leave those soak for a couple months. So when I come back and check them, I know I'm not going to bust deer out of bedding areas because if I use the right wind, um, I can just sneak in there, grab that camera, sneak out and deer won't, you know, they might be, they might figure out that I was there in a few hours, but, um, for the most part, I'm not going to boot them out of their bed or anything like that. So that's kind of my strategy is outside those bedding areas, hundred to 200 yards on trails that are going inside in and out of those bedding areas, as well as, like I said earlier, food sources, um, <laughs> it's hard in the summer because everything's green in terms of food sources. So it's not like you can just go to like a soybean field or something like that. Cause the deer can just browse anything. So, you know, they'll, they'll kind of be all over the place. Um, but they still like fields. They still like, um, those edges and, and just being, if you know, a field that always usually gets hit by deer, like odds are you can put a camera there and still get deer over the summer. Um, and if you, if your state allows you to bait, you know, throwing some corn on the ground, throwing some mineral on the ground or something like that is always helpful. in in terms of getting deer to come in and, and check out, um, a space and allowing you to see what's out there and start getting, um, details on what kind of deer are on, on your, on the piece that you're hunting. So run those trail cameras. The third thing I like to do over the summer is I, I really like to truck scout, um, that's one of my favorite things to do is to just drive around and look in fields at dusk. So, um, I don't know what else to say about that, but I will literally like say it gets dark at eight o'clock. I'll roll up at like seven o'clock and I'll just park, um, on the edge of a road and just hang out and just watch a field and see what's going on. 
Um, and if deer come in it, then I take note. If they don't, I also take note like, Hey, the deer weren't here tonight. And maybe I'll watch a field, you know, two or three times before, um, I make any decisions on it because sometimes you might go there. There might be 20 deer there the next night. There's only one and the next night there's zero. Then you got to go a few more times and try to figure out what's, what's going on there. If there's actually deer using it or not. Um, but, uh, but aside from that, you know, just going and checking out fields, um, with your truck and or your car i just call it truck scouting because i have a truck but um anyway i like that uh, i like doing that a lot and i also like uh just checking out it gives me another way to check out what food sources are planted in what field for that fall because i know when i'm planning out my season i'm like okay here's where i'm kind of gonna kind of be early season here's where i'm going to be mid-season um, here's where I'm going to be during the rut, the pre-rut, and then here's late season. And, um, you know, farmers change their fields every year and what's being planted. So going out, figuring out, okay, this field's soybeans, this field's corn, this field's alfalfa, this field's, you know, hay, this field's not even planted this year. This one was in mud, so it's garbage, you know, and just figuring that out so that you know, what's going to, what's going on and you can start planning your, your strategy early on is a really good, um, really good piece of information to have. Cause I know for me personally, like I'm looking for, I'm always looking for soybeans and cornfields cause soybeans, you can usually hunt over the first, um, week or two of season in September and have some good success. And then, uh, as the corn, as, um, the season matures, the corn matures, the corn dies, gets harvested, all that kind of stuff. Um, then, uh, then you can hunt over that and you know where that is and you know that the deer will be heading there for a, a high quality food source, you know, later in the year for your late season stuff or your post rut stuff. So there's always good information to gather there. And then I also, um, just on that kind of outside of truck scouting, but more on the food side of things, I always like to check oak trees and apple trees as well. If I know where some good oaks are or I know where some good apple trees are, I always like to check them, make sure that they're producing that year because I do have a few strategies set up for um, very specific oak trees and very specific apple trees that if they are producing, I'll hunt them early season. Apple trees, if you are a premium, if you can get on them early season when the deer are hitting them and those apples are just falling, I mean, you can get in there in an evening and see, you know, two, three, five, six, ten 10 deer, depending on um, what your property's like. And I know I have a few spots that are like that. And, uh, and same with oaks, like, I mean, a good oak tree right outside a bedding area, that's got a lot of, lot of, uh, acorns on it will produce a lot of deer very quickly. And that's one of the things, um, there's a few people that I follow and I, I really listen to a lot and I've talked to in the past, um, are the hunting beast and the hunting public. They are very influential people in my life and they have a lot of good information, um, out there. So definitely, um, if you're listening to me, you've probably heard of them, but if you haven't go check them out as well. Uh, again, it's the hunting beast and the hunting public, um, some great quality information there, but a lot of the times those bucks, uh, and even mature does or anything, they'll come out of their bed where they've been laying all day and they'll find the first good oak tree that they have. That's got good acorns in it. So, I mean, that could be, that could only be 20 yards. And if you're not in that, um, in that zone, if you're not close enough, you're never going to see that buck. So being that close is important and understanding where they're going to be going and where they're, um, 
where they're headed because they may they may eventually walk by your stand but it may be 10 p.m when you can't hunt same with apple trees um same with some of the soybean fields and stuff like that you know a deer really like to stay hidden as much as possible so just walking out into an open field isn't necessarily something that they like to do when they know there's pressure <laughs> when it's summertime they know they're not being hunted um, coyotes are not really hunting them or anything like that there's just not a lot of pressure um, of course they'll just walk right out in those fields have a good time have a heyday and uh and feed but once once there's a little bit of hunting pressure they understand what's up and uh, they're going to stay hidden as much as they can so the closer you can get to that bed uh, the better your odds of success are going to be so that's that was number three truck scouting with kind of a uh, bright shiny object squirrel uh, over there for um, for the food source thing on apples and acorns uh, number four would be um, this is mainly for private land guys but putting out mineral licks and food plots uh, mineral licks I've seen be very successful for me personally um, as well as a few friends of mine uh, dropping mineral licks out and uh, putting cameras on them so you can see what bucks are in the area and what bucks are using a very specific piece and also how long it takes them to move through your property because a lot of times they'll go from one mineral lick to the other and you can say hey he was here at 5 p.m he was here at 9 p.m and then he was here over here at 1 a.m and then i didn't see him for the next three days but then he made that cycle again so um so that's a great way to do things and uh, it also can tell you like one of the interesting things is that we've got enough data on one of my friend's farms that we can actually kind of, I don't want to say pinpoints perfectly, but we can understand um, where the dominant bucks, their territories, some territories start and some territories end. Because there was a buck that was killed out there last year um, or two years ago is a really big, thick eight point. And he was like the boss. I mean, he was the biggest buck on the farm by far, but he only came on, it's a 300 acre farm. And he only came on to about 40 to 50 acres of that farm and never touched the other 250. The other 250 was kind of run by um, a couple of other smaller bucks, like two, a mixture of two or three other bucks. But dropping those mineral licks allowed us to fi figure that out because we would we would just move them around all summer, kind of put them in one spot for, you know, a month and then put one in another spot for a month and just, just see how these deer were moving around. And we could only get this one really nice buck on very specific mineral sites. And I don't know what the terrain feature was or anything like that, but it seemed he wouldn't go past that. And we never got pictures of him anywhere else, only up to this mineral lick. And then he'd turn around and head back. And the other big piece of his territory was on a neighboring farm and uh, after he was killed uh, we were talking to that other farmer he came up showed us a bunch of pictures he had of him and kind of we we just understand the understood the history of how that buck used our piece how to use his piece and because uh, he had seen him the day before as well and just couldn't get a shot at him so uh, dropping those mineral licks and then as far as food plots go a lot of people think you have to put in all the work uh, right away and you know um, like April and May and, and start prop prepping all that I mean even yeah even in early June and stuff like that uh, but there is a food plot what I'm trying to say is there's a seed for any time of the year so if you're really late and it's August and you need something to come up in September or October you can find a seed for that so you know if, you, if you're a food plot guy getting out there 
um, right now is my suggestion. Get out there right now and make sure that you got that thing planted. But if you're running behind, your work schedule just doesn't doesn't help, um, and your life schedule just doesn't help, then you know, come August, you can always you can always get down and uh, set a food plot out then. And my thing on food plots, like I really like the really small ones, micro plots. Um, not the giant, you know, 10, 15, 20 acre ones. Um, I personally prefer like a half acre or, um, or two acres, maybe at the most half acre, a quarter acre at the least, I'd say. And the reason I like that is because it kind of goes back to the school of thought that deer really like to be hidden. They'd rather not go out in big fields. So the smaller you have, the more secluded they feel, the more safe they feel, the more likely you are to see them. So that's just kind of a, a thought there um, on food plots. But again, you know, um, number four would be get out those mineral licks and uh, look for uh, and get some food plots planted if you haven't and want to. Um, number five would be this is a very, very deep topic, but I'm going to try to brush through it. Um, Find spots to hang all your tree stands and trim out all your lanes. Um, tree, hanging tree stands uh, for your private land guys, you know, if you can hang them up preseason is always the best way to go. If you got 10 stands, I suggest hanging seven or eight up preseason and having two or so on the go so you can be pretty mobile. If something pops up, you can just go at it and you don't have to go tear one down and reset one up. Uh, but hanging your stands, hanging your stands now so that you can get in there, you know, kind of do the disturbances that you want to do and then just letting them sit and letting the deer get used to them. Especially if you're doing, you know, ladder stands or big block box blinds that are a little bit more, that stand out a little bit more than, you know, your hang-ons or, or just trimming up a tree for a climber that you like to use. Or even um, if you're going to use saddle hunting, uh, saddle hunting style, you know, getting all those pegs in right away right now so that, you know, you don't need to go out there and get, put all the pegs in. You know during season um so hanging stands is definitely a, a good thing to do and then as far as trimming out your lanes i always 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 say trim just enough don't over trim um you can always cut more you can't always cut less uh, and I know in the summer right now, everything's green, everything's thick, everything's lush. So when you're trimming it out, you're like, oh man, this is, you know, this is too thick. I won't be able to shoot through here and stuff like that. And you start trimming, trimming back a lot. And then it looks really good right now in June and July. And then you get in there in September and October and you're like, oh man, I have no cover. I trimmed out way too much. Um, and now all the deer are picking you like every single time. My suggestion would be trim anything major and trim what you need to trim now so you can just have like just your lanes but make sure you still have your cover that you need you know my favorite way to set up a stand is when i i'm expecting a deer to to come at me on a specific trail i want to be able to see that deer um hopefully i mean ideal setups is something like this and obviously it's not going to work for every tree stand or anything like that but i ideal setup is i see the deer at you know 50 60 70 yards then i don't see him again he's behind a bunch of cover a bunch of thick stuff you know whether it's the tree whether it's the bush whatever it is until he's at like uh 30 yards or less and because that allows me to see him 
get ready, draw, and then when he comes out from behind those obstacles, I can shoot him, and it it just makes a lot of sense. Rather than I don't want to see him the entire way, because if he's if I can see him the entire way, he can see me, and deer's eyes are very keen to movement. So you know, drawing your bow, um, you're just about to you're just pretty much asking to get busted. So that is that is my tip on trimming your lanes. Trim just enough right now, and uh, when you get out into your stand. You know, I always suggest when you like opening evening, um, if you're getting out there and, uh, you know, you want to be out there, say it gets dark at 830, you want to get out there at five o'clock, get out there at four o'clock and bring your trimmer with you. Um, go up there, trim it out a little bit because that deer a lot of times isn't around you unless you're hunting really close to a bedding area, then don't bring your trimmer. Um, but you know, if you're hunting a food plot or something like that, which a lot of people do early season, bring your trimmer cause that, that little bit of noise right during then, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, the deer will just think it's, you know, a farmer working on the property or whatever. You can trim it out a little bit and then just set your, uh, set your saw at the bottom of the stand. Like if you got one of the big pole arms or, I mean, if you got one of the little ones, I, I trim out branches all the time. Um, when I'm just being mobile on my friend's property, uh, just because, um, I don't, <laughs> I rarely sit in the same tree twice. Uh, that's just, it's kind of a gift and a curse. <laughs> I, I, I have like a tree stand ADD. I don't like to sit the same spot multiple times just because I like new scenery. I like new adventure. I like going new places and checking new things out. I'm sure some of you other guys are out there. I like that. Um, uh, but for me, um, so it, me, I'm always moving around and that, that's why I'm saying I, I trim all the time and I still see tons of deer all the time. Um, it's not, it's not, it hasn't been a deterrent for me yet to be like, Oh man, I really can't trim. You just gotta be quiet about it. Just take it slow, take it easy. Don't make a ton of branches breaking or anything like that. Like really loud snaps. Um, and then another thing, like if, if you do have to do that kind of stuff and you got to get in there, just wait for a really windy day a really windy day where it's in your favor and you can get in there and it's, you know, 20 mile an hour winds, you can saw some stuff up. Um, and the noise will just carry out to the field where the deer are not, and I'll just go the other way. Um, that's always a good idea too, is if you ever need to get into a, an area that's really tight to deer, like, you know, they're bedded within a hundred yards or even 50 yards of you getting in there on a really windy day where that wind can mask a lot of your movement and a lot of your noise. Um, that's a great time to get in there because, you know, you get in there at two o'clock when it's 20 mile an hour winds. And then by the time you want to hunt at five, um, at five, it's down to a 10 mile an hour wind, which is like perfect for deer movement. And here they come and you're in there and it's, and it's nice, easy and quiet. So it's number five, hang my stands. And then last, last but not least is, uh, check out new property or a backup property. Uh, you never know what could happen, especially if you lease land or you have permission um, or something goes on on the private piece that you have. I always suggest people have a backup property just in case something goes wrong, you know, just in case <laughs> you, you just never know. So um, if you don't have a backup property, get out there, scout a piece of public, maybe ask the neighbors if you can have permission there, um, maybe find another lease with a buddy that, that you might be able to join last minute or something like that. Um, just, just find a backup property and take a little bit of time, take a day on a Saturday or something like that. Go out there, scout it, make sure you have a general idea of what it all entails, just in case something happens. You know, you hear horror stories of 
I don't want to call them horror stories, just like really sad and frustrating stories of guys who lease a property and they've leased it for seven years. And then all of a sudden, uh, the new brother-in-law wants to hunt it and season opens, uh, September 15th. And he calls you up on September 8th and says, Hey man, sorry, you're not going to be on this property this year. Uh, my daughter's husband wants to hunt it and he doesn't want any competition. So you're out. Thanks. Bye. You know, that's, <laughs> that is a terrible situation to be in. It is a heart wrenching situation. There really isn't a ton you can do unless you have a pretty solid contract. And even then, you know, it's why do you want to be on somebody else's property who doesn't want you there? That's just a recipe for disaster anyway. So having that backup piece, just in case something bad happens, um, is, is just a nice peace of mind. Um, I always had backup pieces um, growing up because uh, I did have kind of an issue um, one year that happened to me. Had a, I was sharing a property with another person, and uh, they just became a total jerk and um, were not very friendly at all. And I just, rather than you know, get in conflict with the person, we were both non-landowners using a, a, a mutual friend's property. And... Uh, and rather than just get into it and ruin my relationship with my friend and put him in the middle of it, I just said, hey, man, um, I'm just going to hunt this other property. It's it's totally cool. I get it. He's, uh, he's hunted here longer than I have, and he just doesn't like change, which is whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go hunt this other property. So, anyway, have those backup properties in mind. Uh, so I think that's it. I think that's it for my first podcast. Um, kind of told you what Deer Vein was about. Um, went over a few summer prep uh, items that can help increase your odds of success. Just going to recap those real quick, which would be one, understand your property, try to get to every inch. Two, drop some trail cameras, get out there, put those out there. They can be very useful and very helpful. Uh, three, do some truck scouting. Um, definitely go out, go out there and just hang out, watch some field. It's a good time. You know, I always enjoy it anyway. Just leaving the radio on is the time to just like be quiet, relax, and just enjoy some time to yourself. Uh, four, get some mineral licks out there or some food plots. If you're into those, um, then you're using private land for sure. Five, go hang your stands and trim when you trim trim just enough. Also, I did want to touch on real quick on public land, go pick out all your trees. Um, If you can't hang up your stand, like in Wisconsin, you can't hang your stands overnight here. You can hang them the entire day during the day, but you can't hang them overnight. So you have to pull them every single day. Uh, I go ahead of time and pick out all my trees. I have them marked. I run Onyx maps, have them all marked on Onyx maps. So I know exactly where I'm going to go. Um, most of the time, especially morning hunts, I know exactly what tree I'm going to go into. So, I mean, my Onyx maps, I hunt, um, roughly 4,000 acres, four or 5,000 acres. And, uh, it is loaded with pins, probably got like 50, 60 trees, um, that I know I can get into at any, any given time. And then I've already scouted, figured out what winds they're good for, um, where I think the deer are going to be coming from, how I'm going to get up in the tree, how I'm going to set up all that kind of stuff. So I always just like to have that information ahead of time. So I'm never walking in uh, blind in the morning. I've had too many bad experiences with that. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure as some of you else, some of the other people have had those too, where you're like, oh, I'll just go wing it in the morning. And it's just never, never works out how you hope. If you have a good morning story where you, you just walked in blind and sat down and figured 
figured out a spot to go and you just crushed it, like, please share it with me because I have not never had one of those experiences. Uh, it has always been tough for me in the mornings. But uh, yeah, um, hang your stands when you trim them out, trim just enough. And, and for public land users, uh, go ahead and uh, pick out your tree stands or your trees that you're going to set up in beforehand. And that was number five. And then lastly, number six, um, have your backup property. So that's it for Deer Vein. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Please, um, if you did, drop a comment, give me a rate, give me a like, um, whatever it is for podcasting. Um, I appreciate it. And if you could share it with your friends, if you found this helpful. And uh, as time goes on, I'm going to be sharing more and more um, in-depth things, um, much more in-depth uh, conversation on trail cameras and how to use them much more in depth on deer beds, much more in depth on scrapes, much more in deer in depth information on setting up a hunting strategy for your season. I found that to be extremely helpful. Um, I have a very specific strategy that I follow and I just stick to it. Um, and, uh, it's been, it's helped me a lot and just kind of diving into, you know, all sorts of gear, all sorts of different things that are that are deer hunting related that can help people um, be more successful. And, and a lot of these are questions that I've been asked. You know, uh, one big one is like e-scouting. What's the best way to scout from satellite maps? I've never been here. I don't want to go walk this 10,000 acres or this, you know, uh, 10,000 is a lot of land. But, uh, you know, I don't want to go walk this 150 acre piece or this 250 acre piece. You know, how can I do more um, e-scouting? Definitely go over a bunch of stuff on that. Um, so just all, all sorts of different topics and, uh, and yeah, that's it. I appreciate, appreciate you guys listening to it and, uh, let me know you did. I, I would love to hear your feedback. Um, anything I can do better so far, this is the first one, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of things I can do better, but, uh, the more people I have telling me what I can do better, the better. Cause I just have an idea in my head as to what, um, what works and no, it doesn't work. And, uh, yeah, that's just me. So anyway, thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Catch you later.